Hello. Hey. Welcome to the Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Group, Big Book Study Group, Thursday Night Alcoholics and God, Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke, Noah. Good evening, family. My name is Noah, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Noah. Okay, okay. I've got a joke for us here tonight. It's called Rejected Again. So, yeah, right? <laughs> oh, okay. I was at a party with some sober friends, and I met this really attractive woman who seemed interested in me. So I asked her out. And she politely shrugged and said, no thanks. Which really surprised me. I asked, was it my age? She said, no, age doesn't matter. Um, well, then I asked, is it my religion? She said, no, religion doesn't matter. Bewildered, I asked, I don't get it. Is it because you're married? She replied, no, I'm single. I was totally perplexed, so I said, I'm confused. Why won't you just go out with me? Is it because I'm sober? No, she said, it's because I'm sober. <laughs> I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Benzie. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take this moment. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise, that might and will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation.
Please join me. Please join me in the Foglight prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a foglight so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love. Amen. There is a solution from the Big Book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I have asked Spencer to read Appendings to His Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Hi, I'm an alcoholic and my name is Spencer. Hi, Spencer. <laughs> spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from, an al- from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone what often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline with few exceptions our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experiences can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials to recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. And that's from Alcoholics Anonymous, pages uh, 567 and 568.
Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones on airplane or meeting mode, or just turn them off. Turn them off. And please help me, I mean, Peter, for the seventh version. Be in my inventory tonight, buddy. Oh, boy. I got called Russell Spatz one time. They says, here's the share is Russell. And I looked in the mirror. I said, I'm going to take him a little thinner than Russell. My name is Peter. My name is Peter. Recovered alcoholic, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, thank the group again for having me. I was talking to a friend earlier and uh, how cool this place is to be on a Thursday night. My favorite place to be. Uh, quite frankly, in South Florida, I love coming here on Thursday. It looks great. The trusted servants are here early, and so it's just a good deal to be a part of. Um, June 23rd, 1988 is when God separated me from alcohol. I'm grateful um, uh, to be a sober member of good standing in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I will tell you, I uh, kind of got that spiritual tap on the shoulder at 345 this morning. I've been up since. And um, I'm kind of feeling it. I have no idea what's in the tank tonight. We'll see um, uh, where God takes us. Um, I've learned a long time ago, I, I used to wake up like that and fight to get back to sleep. You've got a full day of work, or you got things ahead of you, chores to do, or who wants to get up at 3.45 in the morning? Uh, most normal folks don't. Um, but as an alcoholic, I don't fall into that category. And um, But then things started to happen, um, not every time, but usually when I was awakened at that time. Uh, I, I've often quoted this, this, uh, this gentleman's name is Rumi, and he says, um, uh, the morning breeze has secrets to tell you don't go back to sleep. And uh, so I started doing that, and uh, there's been more than a few occasions where perhaps not during meditation or, or during prayer, um, Sometimes it did, but an hour later, um, while I'm, you know, getting ready to get to the gym or doing some chores or putting on a pot of coffee, there'd be this thing that God would just lay on your heart, this, this insight, this, this something. And, um, and you can almost feel it in the soul when that happens. And uh, so when, when I'm awakened at that time, as tired as I am, I get up and... Uh, sometimes crawl into my little prayer room and hit the mat and uh, begin the day on awakening with prayer, which my prayers nowadays are pretty much, they're honoring uh, God, uh, willing to be under his authority, but understanding I can't convince the spirit to do anything. Um, it's just a matter of getting centered and uh, uh, showing up for work uh, with my God. And... Um, when the seventh step says to do his bidding, basically saying to go to work for God, do God's work, and uh, doing some meditation, and then I do my readings and, um, and put on a pot of coffee. And this morning I did that, and it was not even 5. It wasn't even 5 a.m. And uh, so I got to spend some time and with God alone. Um, and I was sharing with Marion earlier, I, I, it's been a, a lot of, for me personally, leaning all the way in. Uh, to God. When I say lean, is basically I'm saying uh, surrendering uh, everything and, and asking for strength, uh, for safety, uh, for direction, uh, for some courage. 
uh, and a lot of strength, quite frankly. Um, it's been an interesting month and change for me uh, between some stuff in my family with my dad and and that the career thing, and you put that all together, and suddenly you're, you're, you're kind of feeling your shoulders are heavy, and I don't know if I can carry the load on my back. And so I lean all the way in uh, for that stuff. And uh, I get here tonight, I suit up and show up uh, for fun and for free. Um, if it wasn't for, uh, I mean, I have a great group of folks around me, men, um, uh, a few down here, a few up north, um, that I lean into. Um, getting to meetings down here and being of service. But if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous, my church and my wife, you know, the, the load on my back would feel a heck of a lot heavier. And so um, the best place for me is to be at a meeting called Alcoholics Anonymous, whether I'm speaking or just sitting there, you know, having a cup of coffee. Um, you know, last week we talked, I talked a little bit I, uh, about uh, step six and for me what that entailed with defects of character or shortcomings, same thing. And I, I, I started, I remember speaking about uh, uh, the seven deadly sins. Uh, for me, that's, that's, that's the, what drives everything behind the selfishness, self-centered, self-seeking, ego, and all of that. We got this thing called seven deadly sins, pride being at the top of the heap, which begets all the others. And what drives all of that is fear. And what drives fear is my own self-reliance because I'm not willing to trust God. I know you're working through a situation identical to me and you're trusting God. And it looks like a good way to go. But I get to the, I get to the startup line and I back away. It's not going to work for me or it may not go according to my plans. And lots of times when we're surrendering or I'm surrendering defects and I'm doing a, a, a sixth step, uh, there's a little prayer in, uh, in our sixth step um, um, page 76, where uh, this went by me for years, and, and uh, Mark H. pointed it out to me. It says, um, we ask God to help us be willing. Ask, that's a praise. So I got a, a prayer, so I go to God to, uh, to be willing. But lots of times I can go to God in 6 and 7, and I have a defect, or I have something going on that I need to get past. But what I want to do is really, what I really want is the situation outside of me to change so I don't feel that kind of weight. And if they would change, I wouldn't behave this way. If I had what I wanted, I wouldn't feel this way. And so even when I'm in a place, even on bended knees, doing a, a seven-step prayer or any kind of prayer and trying to offer God, I need some help with this, what I'm really secretly looking to do, it's still self-seeking motives. I, I'm praying to have, say, selfishness uh, be taken away. But what's behind that is if they would only do what I want. If my home group would only vote this way, I wouldn't have this problem. If my boss would give me that well-deserved promotion, I wouldn't have the anger towards them and the self-seeking or the envy towards others. If only the world would do as I want. And that's how I can approach six and seven. I'm getting nowhere because there's a hook. And for me, what I needed to do, uh, as I do now, uh, is am I willing to have this stuff go if God's willing to take it it's not like I tell God, remove selfishness, and it's gone. I, it's his way, his time, how much he wants to erode little by slowly. I don't know God, how God operates. But do I want it to go? And beyond that, am I willing to be changed into something I don't know? So I want to take me as I know me, just 
make me nice and glossy. I don't want headaches. I don't want burdens. Well, sometimes the spiritual walk, if you've been here a while, you know the spiritual walk can be full of burdens, can be very, uh, a, a lot of heavy lifting. You can be really unpopular. It's not about I'm, I'm, I'm running for mayor in AA and how many, how many handshakes I can get. That's nice if we do that, but we're talking about very specific walks. So when I'm in doing six and I'm doing seven, uh, my commitment is to God first and willing to stand on the firing line and take shots. I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do, whatever he's going to turn me into. And the things I think I do really good is usually where ego gets in. He might take that from me. I don't know. But I'm willing to be transformed or recreated to be reborn here. Am I willing to do that? I think I shared last week that I'm so afraid of what God will turn me into, I hold on to what I've known for so long. And so I, 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 I come in here at step one and I'm tore up from the floor, willing to do anything to get the pain off my back, to remove this stuff from me. And for, I share with you guys, for a while I thought it was just the booze was the problem. The non-conference approved drivers, that was the problem. It was a symptom of a greater problem because when that stuff got taken away from me via detox, I ran into me and that wasn't a, a, a good day. It wasn't a warm, fuzzy welcome when I run into me and I'm sober and I find myself, I'm more dangerous, more manipulative, more uncomfortable because I have nothing to pour my alcohol, uh, 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 on my alcoholism. I heard somebody share last night, I don't want to cre- create a debate here, about this twofold illness. I hear that sometimes. I don't even know what that means. What I have is a threefold illness. My book says when the spiritual mouth is overcome, I straighten out mentally and physically. I, the, the God doesn't have a problem. I have a, I have a God problem. I'm spiritually anemic, if you will. Or, or I think it was Chuck Chamberlain talked about this conscious separation from God. There's God. I'm even awake to it. I'm running on my own fumes, and it's not, I'm running into walls wherever I go. I'm causing havoc wherever I go. I'm, I'm causing broken relationships. I'm causing resentments, all of it. And I'm taking people with me. And it seems to be once I attend to that piece, which is what this book is about, is getting me in God's light, suddenly this, this head changes. And the things I was attracted to that were killing me are no longer attracted to. The whole walk has changed because I start to operate out of the soul rather than operating out of the mind. When I'm operating out of the soul, the external world no longer old, owns me. When I'm in the mind, everything owns me. Everything's got leverage on me. I'm afraid to lose what I have and, and not get what I want, which means I'm a prey to misery and depression as long as I'm breathing. So I don't know about this twofold thing I hear floating around. If that floats your boat, God bless you. I'm not here to change you. I just don't get that. And I don't want to hear about it after the meeting. You have to pull me aside and try to explain to me because you're not going to change my, my mind. You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. It's 35 years. It's working pretty good. So the reason why I need to go to God with these defects of character because I have this spiritual disconnection from God. And as long as I do that, those defects, my mind will run the show. And if I don't go to God to deal with those defects, those defects will deal with me. And they're not very fair. They're not very pleasant. It's a drunk without a drink in me. 
my alcoholism doesn't come in a bottle of whiskey. And so I, 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 during the hour quiet time, I do step six. And I'm just going to review. It says, if I can answer to uh, my satisfaction, those are the questions on page 75. I look at step six. We emphasize willingness as being indispensable. I can't do without it. It's absolutely necessary. Am I ready to have God remove from me all the things I have admitted are objectionable? Am I willing to do this? The things that I saw that aren't good in me. I talked a little bit about it last week. You know, being around educated people, I would recoil. Being around successful rich people, I would feel inferior and inadequate. I would compare. I would be envious. I would look at what they have and count other people's blessings instead of the blessings I have. And if I did something good, I would take credit for it. How could I take credit for anything when God gave it to me in the first place? What I need to do is shout his name and say, thank God for this. It's kind of like when we get done with a talk and, and people say, thank you so much for that talk. What I need to do is throw that right back to God. God, thank you for the words. I can't walk around and say, wow, I gave some talk. I had a cat come up to me one time and I says, uh, Mary said, hello. Oh, Mary, she's one of my biggest fans. I says, I'm in the wrong place. That's not what AA is about. It's not about getting fans and a following. It's about suiting up and show up and do God's work. And when I'm living like that, I'm totally in defects. And the thing about defects, I don't even know they're, they're on me. You can hear them and see them. Something about operating out of the soul, I travel awfully light. The path is really clear. Challenging, but clear. Can he now take them all, every one? If I still cling to something I won't let go of, I ask God to help me be willing. That's my prayer. God, help me be willing to let go of this. You take me wherever you want to go. It's none of my business. Take me like the wretch I am, the sinner I am, and you do whatever you're going to do. None of my business. I just know I'm going to trust in you. I pray this works. I hope this works. It's got to work. Here comes humility. Because on my own, I can't work on defects. And that's something I had to get at a gut level. I can't work on defects. I can't change me. I can't make myself humble. Humility is forged on an, uh, an anvil of pain and misery to the point where I run out of road, I hit the wall and say, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't stop this. I need help. That's when we usually call a sponsor. We walk into a that moment where, hey, can you got to take me to treatment? Or we agree to go to treatment because deep down inside we know it's up. I can't do it anymore. And we walk into an AA meeting. We see steps and traditions and it all looks like Latin. I have no idea what's going on. And I've got to get better and I don't know what to do. And I say, can somebody help me? I'm new. There's a force feeding of humility. I can't make that happen. And part of the humility here is not, look at me, I've done the steps. It's I go to God to do this, to to get me right, to get in his light, because of myself I am nothing the Father doeth the works. It's truly through God, his way, his power, his time, on his terms. And back in step three, I I, kind of made this decision to play by rules other than my own, God's rules, yeah? How free do I want to be? If I always do what I always did, I'm always going to get what I always got. My first six months in recovery, about six months, I was always doing what I always did. I got what I got. And I wasn't drinking. It's a lot more painful. Those arrows hurt when they come at you. I got no buffer. I got nothing between me and life called alcohol. 
for the longest time when I drank, it, I poured alcohol on my alcoholism. I was sedated. I got kind of numb to the world. I can do this. I wasn't, but it felt like I can do it. Now you pull the booze away, and I'm raw. Everything hurts, and it's exaggerated. How free do I want to be? Do I want to travel light or heavy? Do I want to be a prey to misery and depression? Do I want to continue to have trouble in personal relationships? And if I don't go to God for this stuff, what I begin to do is project my wounds upon you. My self-centeredness, my ego, my pride, my jealousy, my envy. You get all of that. And I can't have a good relationship. My relationship based on me getting what I want simply means you need to worship me. One of the, the most freeing thing was, and it's really kind of contrary to the way I was when I got here. I thought when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, so I came in AA, I got about 20 minutes sober, and I should be Moses by now. And because I'm in AA, I have to be serious. You know, I'm in AA, I'm a spiritual guy. You know, I don't laugh at stupid things anymore. I'm wound up tied in a major league baseball, and I should have no more pain. There should be no suffering, no uncomfortability. No indecision. I should be, I should transcend everything. Well, that's a lot of work because you pretend a lot. You can't laugh too loud. You can't cry too much. And I'm wrapped up in me again. And one of the greatest things about Alcoholics Anonymous is coming to terms, the realization, the aha moment of my brokenness. It's not, it's not a journey, <coughs> part of me, towards perfection, but, but a journey towards humility. And part of that humility is me getting clear that how broken and wounded and flawed I am. This is my human condition. I'm the car that leaks oil. When my car drives away, there's an oil spot. That's me. You know, I was there. And what great freedom in that. It doesn't mean uh, I, I, I try to run away from, I got to get away from me. It's just, this is who I am. I'm broken and flawed, sober, so I need this power. And if I'm sober for the rest of my life, which I really hope I am, I'll still be broken and flawed, but that's okay today. It's really, it's really welcoming by me because the greater need for God. I can't work on defects. I just put them at his feet. And as many times, the best gift, the only gift I can give God is my sinfulness. That's it. You know, I go to church on Sunday. And it's not like people in church came in there, you know, as saints. We go to an AA meeting. It's like, no one, it's like people come in here, not that they were all sober and life was great. They go to AA. Like church in AA, I heard somebody say it's one big IOP program, which is kind of true. We come into AA because things are not working. We ha I have burned it up. Whether it was Park Avenue or Park Bench. And many of us returned to church because we burned it up again. But what great freedom in that. Because when I look to my left and my right, that person's done the same in varying degrees. But we all meet with that common bond, the common brokenness. We share that brokenness. There should be no problem for me now to go to God who made this with all the cracks in the armor purposely. And we study a lot of, uh, uh, not AA, but if we look through like religion, a lot of saints weren't good people. I mean, every time I go to church, you have a letter from St. Paul to somebody. St. Paul was not a good guy. He probably was part of my old home group. He was so mean. And he had this thing. This interrupted his life. 
the same thing happens to us on the way to the liquor store, sitting home nursing another hangover in your 50-year detox, shacking up with a newcomer again, walking and get another white chip. Or sometimes a little children say, Mommy or Daddy, are you drunk again? And something happens, we get knocked off the horse. You can't make that happen. It just happens. It's a calling. And so I get to my seventh step. After taking a look at the things that I'm, uh, this is not good. This, I got to get rid of this stuff. I, I object to all of this. It's not good. And for me, I, and I'm going to be quite frank, I've been tight a few times. Like, what's God going to do now? How much more can he prune this tree? There's nothing left. But always willing. I always walk right in. And the longer I'm sober, the greater trust I have in God. No matter what, it's going to be okay. I'm in his light with great care, great love, great mercy. That doesn't mean I enjoy when I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Some of my greatest lessons have been through pain and doubt and skepticism. And I can't tell you how many times I found God's greatest strength when I felt doubt and skepticism and weak, even f- uh, physically weak from circumstances. Sometimes circumstances, you feel feeble. You can't eat. You can't sleep. And in those moments, what seemed to be most dark is God's light. See, God's light is nothing but darkness to the mind anyway. The mind doesn't get God. That's why I don't... Sometimes you hear in AA, bring the body and the mind will follow. Why in God's name? Well, we say that to a newcomer. Bring the body and the mind will follow. No, we got to get divorced from the mind. we got to get rid of it. Throw it out, dump it. Put it in a meat grinder. Just get rid of it. It's the thing that's causing me problems. In fact, if you're listening to me say this right now, and you're trying to say, well, he doesn't mean all of that, that's your mind. (laughs) When you're at a meeting and you hear another speaker talk about God's mercy, you're going, yeah, but I don't, that's your mind. We need to do the steps, why don't you do them right now? That's your mind. And the soul is going, sit there and don't move. You think when, if anyone's new in this room tonight, you, you think your mind and, and your determination or your motivation is keeping you here listening to me for one hour? No, it's the soul of God that's got your butt planted in that seat until the meeting's over. Whether you like it or not, you stayed for an hour, it's a victory. Yeah? So the seventh step says this when ready, and we stop right there. I automatically assume I'm ready, but am I? When ready? It begs the question, when is ready? When am I ready to to go to God and have these things that are good or bad? When is ready? When I'm willing to have God do whatever he wants with me at this point. When I'm willing to let go of everything I think makes me. Internally and externally. When I'm willing to be completely transformed once again. If I thought he transformed me in 3, 4, 5, he's got a lot more work to do. And it's going to continue that way. Because if anyone here has ever gone out and make amends, it's a force feeding of more humility. What changed again? The great thing about amends, it kills off defects. There's no way it can show up to someone with pride while I'm trying to make amends. There's no way I can show up to someone with selfishness while I'm trying to make amends. There's no way I can show up to someone with lust when I'm trying to make amends, and it goes on. So in that moment, the, the defects get suffocated. That's why amends are so important, and we kind of roll into the world of the spirit, and that stuff, we get some distance from it. Not cured, but we get distance from it. 
I'm, I'm purely speaking out of experience here. And there's still a whole lot of work to do. I think when the work is done, he'll call me home. It's an ongoing process. In step 10, it says uh, we should con- it should continue for a lifetime. Am I willing to submit to this work until God gives me my last breath? Am I willing to really take a risk and get up to a podium and shout God's name from the rooftops? Or am I ashamed of God? I go to God in the morning, God, give me this, please give me that. You do this and I'll do that, God. We got a game plan, me and you, you know, mano y mano, let's roll. And then I'm at a meeting. I won't talk about God because no one else is talking about God. I don't want to be disliked. So God gets put on the back, the back burner. And then I show it to him, he's, I don't even know who you are. I got plans and designs on how this whole thing should roll, yeah? And those plans and designs, I think, are good. They're fulfilling uh, their instant gratification plans and designs. It makes me popular and rich. But those are the things that are taking me further and further away from God. And when I start to do stuff like that, God doesn't know that guy or that woman. When I stop to, when I try to operate outside of God, if you will, figuratively speaking, I'm going to be the master of my own domain. I'm going to create my life, the one I want. That might be in conflict with God. God doesn't know that person. To operate outside of God is far too much privacy. That's what Thomas Merton talks about. I need to submit myself to God, which is uncomfortable. I'm going to get squeezed a little bit. The things I thought I needed to be happy, he just might take. I'm saying, why God is punishing God? Why is he taking this from me? Because of his greater good, which is my greater good. Suddenly I find myself packing into the stream of life. I'm traveling light. I'm of service to others. And I'm sleeping at night. Mm. Life is difficult enough. I mean, the newcomers coming in, I, I, I give you guys credit. When I came in, we didn't have social media. You know, if it's raining in Timbuktu, it's all over social media. The world is ending. It's raining in Timbuktu. Oh, my God. You know, social media, cell phones, all this stuff, all this instant gratification all over the globe. There's a downside to that because when you guys come in here, you're coming in with that as well. You have no idea how many prejudices you walk in. It's not your fault. That's got to go. All of it. I remember uh, I was talking to a sponsor of mine, and he says to me, he says, would you, here's here's door number one, door number two. You're the most popular guy in AA. When you walk in the room, everyone says, here's Pete, oh my God. And there's a greeting line from here to the end of the room. You sit up in front, newcomers bring you, you're the guy. They ask you to speak wherever you go, but you go home at night, you don't even know who God is. Door number two is your guy comes in, does the steps, works with people, not popular. Oh, there's Pete. Yeah, he comes here once in a while. But you're totally locked into God and you sleep at night. Which which one are you going to take, Pete? I mean, the answer is obvious. But is it to some? I want the best of both where it doesn't work that way. When ready? Am I ready? Assuming I'm ready, okay, God, I'm standing before you once again like I did in step three and revamped this mess because I came out of five. I saw a lot of bullets. A lot of stuff fell through the screen. There's a couple of nuggets here, and I don't even know what to do with them. 
my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my ego, my pride, my envy, my lust, my sloth. I've got this stuff. And it begets more stuff, and I'm not okay. It says, my creator, here's the prayer. My God, whatever you want to call it. I am now willing, right now, in this moment, this is after the hour quiet time. I am now willing. By the way, that willing doesn't come from me. That willingness came when I just went to God. I asked him to be willing. It's, I've been praying for willingness all the time. I'm kind of going back to God to be willing that you should have all of me good and bad. And this is so key. Bill is unbelievable. Good and bad. I'm not saying, God, you take the things I think are bad. Good and bad, which means the things I think I do, I'm really good at might be bad for me. And the things I think are bad just might be good for me. I don't know. Here's more humility. I'm saying take the whole product. I can't hold on to anything here. I, I always share a story about there was a fellow in Staten Island. He's gone to the big meeting in the sky. He's a wonderful sponsor. Hardcore big book guy. He was obnoxious. He was loud. He was a bull in a china shop. He was self-righteous. This type of, just, just a bull in a china shop. Uh, but he was wonderful. And we were talking one time. I knew his sponsor really well. I, I, I did work with his sponsor. And he went to his sponsor and he said, I've been praying to God to be more mild-mannered, more genteel, more, more humble, so I can be like better. And I'm the same guy. And Joe H. was his sponsor from California. He says, look at the men God gives you to work with. They're all roughnecks when they come in here. You know the roughnecks, the tough, the rum and tumble, beer drinking, bar fighting guys? Those guys? They were shaving at three, you know those guys? When they came? He's, those are the guys God keeps putting in front of you when they're all in line. And you keep telling God, take away from what you think is a bad thing. And God says, no, 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 I need you just, I'll trim it down a little bit. But this is the type of person I need out there to help some of my kids. Conversely, get the mild-mannered guy who's really quiet, maybe even appears as meek, you know, nerdy, a bookworm kind of guy. Nothing wrong with that. And that guy wants to be the bull in the china shop guy. God's going to tell the same thing. Look at the people you work with. They're all getting well. They feel safe with you. So I don't know what's good. I don't know what's bad. More humility. God, just take the whole product. Once again, (coughs) this isn't about uh, trimming uh, uh, the branch, taking some of the yellow leaves off. It's not just hosing down the flowers and so they look nice. This is about, once again, God, you do what you're going to do. He's going to get his hands and pull the whole thing out, root and branch. It's going to be uncomfortable. I have no say-so. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to my fellows. This is about not being a popular person or really wonderful human being. You might be. It's about, God, I need to work for you. That's what this is. And then I need to help other people. It says, grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. That's a lot of like 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. To do God's bidding is to do his work. Grant me strength from here, God, to go to work for you. I can't show up for work loaded with me. Less me, more God, more God, less me. I can't show up full of me day in and day out. That's going to get old, and I'm going to look for relief, and it's going to be a drink. 
So I, my, some people do this with their sponsor. Uh, I was always instructed during the hour quiet time, alone we met God in six and alone we met God in seven. And then I report back to the sponsor. The other thing uh, almost every one of my sponsors had me do was, now this doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Some people go from seven right into eight, cool, depending on your influence. But what my, my sponsors all had me do is sit here a couple of days with this. Is there anything you're still holding on to, like in five? And I go back and do the seven-step prayer again and again and again. Is there anything I'm holding on to? Am I still willing to have God remove everything? And if that's the case, then I pick up and do start doing my eight-step list. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll share something. Uh, I don't think I shared this with you guys, but um, a number of years ago, I went through a divorce, and um, the ex-wife got everything. And I remember going to an ATM, and it said insufficient funds. I said, wow, she really cleaned me out besides what the lawyers gave her. You know, you're thinking, like, I'm going to jail for homicide on this one. I don't know what to do. And to add insult to injury, um, the, her boyfriend moved into the house I bought and remodeled. And I lost my job. It wasn't a good day. And my friends, I was going through this, and I also felt like a total embarrassment to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm an AA, you don't get divorced. I think it's a requirement for membership. You have to be divorced to walk into AA. Uh, newcomers, take note. Um, um, and I felt like a fraud in front of God. I'm an AA member. I'm sober. You don't get divorced. I'm a, I'm a Catholic, good or bad. You're not supposed to get divorced. I mean, all this stuff. And I'm experiencing life owning me. Life became my master. I got attached to the house with the white picket fence, if you will. And I had a couple of dollars in the bank, and it was all gone. And the house was like, you know, security, all just removed. And I was angry with God. And um, you know when you're so in the, uh, depressed that you can't even eat, you can't even look at food, you don't sleep. You're just kind of like going through the motions. And uh, like good AAs, a, a handful of these guys took me out to dinner one night. And we, we were in Jersey, and um, we took a ride over there. We were going to go to a meeting and, and all this good stuff. And I can't even look at the food. The scent of the food is making me sick. And they're eating and talking. And it says, how is their life so great? And I've worked so hard in AA. And I worked so hard in AA. Where's my reward? And I was just nauseous. And I excused myself from the table. And I went out into the parking lot. And by now, it was kind of dark out. And I'm just pacing the parking lot. And Mark Houston was my sponsor at the time. And um, I'm embarrassed to call him because I'm feeling so terrible. I thought he wouldn't like me. You know, I was with Mark. He was my sponsor a number of years now. We had gone through the steps a few times. Uh, I went to speak with him a few times. He's going to be so disappointed in me if I start crying over the phone or cursing over the phone or get angry over the phone. I failed him too. And I, I'm, I, I don't know what to, I can't breathe. And so what I do is um, I stop praying. And I'm looking up at the sky waiting for like some sort of sign. And I says, God, I'm done running my life again. 
I took credit for the money in the bank. I took credit for the house. I took credit for the car. I took credit for the little vacations. I took credit for everything. And I'm ashamed that it's gone. I feel like a fraud to you and everyone else. And I began to weep, but it, it, it was a cleansing. I'm done running my life again. I know what to do, and I'm willing to do it, whatever it takes. And I called up Mark, and I told him what was going on. And he says to me, money, he says, sounds like, he had, that was his nickname for me, by the way. He's money, it sounds like we need to go through the steps again. I was hoping, he said, I got a job for you, I'll send you a check, just something. He said, we're going to go through the steps again. <clears throat> it's not what I wanted to hear. But there was something in here bigger than what was in here that says, I'm going to trust this sponsor. He's carried me this far. And that's what happened. And I got on the other side of that. And I, never, I, looked, I looked back to tell a story. I don't live there anymore. Like when you're driving your car, you get that rear view. You peek to see what's behind you every once in a while. You can't stare at it because you'll crash. It's like that where I look back once in a while, see how far God has carried me. He's done a pretty good job in my book so far. I just don't live back there anymore. I can't. Am I willing to have God do what he's going to do with me in this seven-step prayer? Am I, what am I holding on to? I came out of a fifth step one time. I did the hour quiet time. It was about my third time through the steps. And my sponsor had been always talking to me about the death of self for successful living, daily dying for successful living. We have to experience the death of self. There's a book, uh, I don't know if it's God Calling or Cheese Calling, one of these little uh, prayer books. And in there is a thing, the title's called Kill Self Now. Self's got to go. So I knew this. It was all up in here, but it wasn't in here. And I'm going through the steps, and I get the hour quiet time. And um, during that hour quiet time, something happened about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes in. I start to feel funny uncomfortable funny who is this God what is this book about am I a fraud or not all that stuff I questioned everything how free do you really want to be here? And part of me is like, whatever it takes. I want to walk in God's life. I don't care what it takes. Do you really want to do that? And there's the narrative, all the voices. I was sure of one thing. I don't want that guy. I don't ever want to be the guy on step four again. I don't want to be him anymore. I don't want to be that step four guy ever again. That I was clear about. And I start to feel physically ill from it. I was starting to feel almost like feeble. I was getting sick and full of anxiety. And so in the middle of that hour quiet time, I went to the phone and I called my sponsor. I've shared the story from a million podiums and I'm telling him what's going on with me. And this is what he said to me. It sounds like you're having an experience and then hung up the phone. That was it. I didn't call him back till this day. I don't know why. I went back to my quiet space and I filled up the hour. He called me later on. And he compared it to, not that I'm like that, but he compared it for an analogy of what Silky did when Bill was having his experience and he walked in. Silky walked in and said, okay, Bill, let's talk about this. What are you feeling right now? Let's medicate you. He just left him alone. Mark knew there was something happening in me. The, the, the need for a sponsor who's spiritually awakened just left me alone. Sounds like you have an experience. Click. He said, I can't talk you through that or talk you out of it or explain it to you. I'll pull you right out of the experience you were getting. He saw what was going on. 
while this is going on, um, my ex-wife uh, was gone from Thursday. This was like a Saturday. Um, I knew where she was drinking and drugging and whatever else. I can't speak for women. I could speak for men. Uh, your male ego is ready to go to war now. You have to, to defend your honor. Where's my wife? And um, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, she came in from the same clothes she left with on Thursday, reeking, drunk, you know, coked up, the whole nine. And I knew the, the marriage was over, for sure. But I had that experience the day before. Now, normally, any other time, there would have been a fight in that house. There would have been an argument. More to defend me and be an honorable person and what I think a man should be. And when this woman walked in, I was hurt. I was crushed. I was, I was frustrated. I was angry. But I start to see her through this, the soul. And I said, this is what alcoholics do. She's full-blown alcoholic and addict. This is what we do. We ruin everything. We destroy everything, and we think there's no problem because she was unbothered by it. Actually, she had pity. And I packed a bag, and I left. And it was over. And I, told, I called Mark with that. He says, you see what just happened. God has made you new. There wasn't an argument. There wasn't a fight. There wasn't name calling. There was no threats. There was no breaking anything. That's how I grew up in, a, in an environment like that, regular activity like that. When my mom was drunk, there'd be her cursing and name calling, things getting broken and threats and all of it. Somebody always stormed out. You didn't do that. That came out of three, four, five, six, and seven. I've never been the same. I married to my wife a year and a half, and I don't take any credit for this. I don't think I've raised my voice to her once. Unless the Yankees lost to the Red Sox, that's a different story. No, that's, that's just a fact. How could I? Especially when you know someone's doing the best they can. How could you fall prey to anger and things like that rather than forgiveness and understanding and compassion? That's how God clothed me with love. I, I need to do that for others. The great, the great results or benefits that happen to uh, a, a bum who walked in here in 1980, and I was, and I'm not lying, I was a bum in 1988, there was nothing here. I couldn't put a sentence together without a committee helping me. And I was loaded with these defects or shortcomings, yeah? What the mind, what, what the mind tells me is always impossible, the spirit of God always proved to be possible. I just need to be patient with God. He's been so patient with me. I need to go to any lengths to get God because he's going to any lengths to, to, to seek me. There's something I read in this. You don't have to go with this. It's just I'm going to share with you that every one of us, not only in AA, but all of God's kids are called to sanctity whether we liked it or not. Every one of us have been born to be saints whether we want to hear that or not. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, I get a leg up on all of this. This makes no sense. There are good people out there who are fumbling through life and we blow it up, come in an A and we got a design for it. Here's a pamphlet. This is how you make your life better. Those folks don't even know what we're talking about. I'm just going to close with something I brought to share with you, almost forgot. Um, 
And this is what he writes. I have five minutes. Uh, The man who does not permit his spirit to be beaten down and upset by dryness and helplessness, but who lets God lead him peacefully through the wilderness and desires no other support or guidance than that of pure faith and trust in God alone will be brought to the promised land. He will taste the peace and joy of union with God. He will, without seeing, have a habitual, comforting, obscure, and mysterious awareness of his God, present and acting in all events of life. The man who is not afraid to abandon all his spiritual progress into the hands of God, to put prayer, virtue, merit, grace, and all gifts in the keeping of him from whom they must all come, will quickly be led to peace and union with God. His peace will be all the sweeter because it will be free of every care. When I hit that dry spot, we're going to hit it from time to time. I'm praying and meditating, doing step work, and I, I can't feel, I can't taste anything. Am I willing to back out and start something new? Or am I going to continue walking? Merton says it feels like sometimes we're walking barefoot on, 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 on a rugged terrain and it hurts. I keep walking. I chop wood and carry water, not depending on anything or anything out there externally, but completely upon God. And I get brought to what he calls the promised land, which is simply the nearness of our creator. We talk about that in step five. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. I, there's something that says if we knew I wish I could do this all the time. If we knew who walked beside us at all times, we would never be afraid again. Like who's sitting next to me right now? Well, there's Joe or Mary, but who's really sitting with me? Changes the whole thing. Now, the mind's going to get in the way and say, no, that's nonsense. Come on. I got real life to deal with. Out there is make-believe. God is the real deal. Anyway, I'm out of time, guys. That's all I got. Peace. Let's, <clears throat> let's thank Pete one more time. Now we're going to have Ryan with the secretary's report. I'm Ryan. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hey. Uh, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, uh, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the back of your chairs, um, if you want to give that way. I've asked Lewis to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's welcome Lewis. Good evening, family. I'm Lewis. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. 
Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way, 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back into his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Does anybody need a sponsor? You want to raise your hand? No, we got a hand up over here. If anybody wants to uh, come talk to her after the meeting, let's get you back to God. Can the recovered alcoholics raise your hands? Awesome. So if your hand's not up, talk to someone whose hand is. All right, we got some announcements. Uh, Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedule at the 12-step house. Is anybody here from BCIC? Brian, if you want to talk to him for more information about that after the meeting, uh, he's right there. Um, We have some volunteer opportunities. Uh, The next gratitude dinner planning meeting is coming up on September 24th. And to get a ticket to the gratitude dinner, you have to be on the planning committee. So a little incentive. Uh, Also, the next intergroup picnic planning meeting will be held on the 17th at 2 p.m. And the intergroup picnic will be on October 29th. And then uh, October 27th to the 29th, we have the second annual Bull in the China Shop Corral. Um, We have Peter for a few more weeks. It's been awesome so far, so definitely come back next week and check that out. Um, Then on October 19th, uh, we have a guest speaker. It's going to be Stevie B uh, doing a guest spot for us. And Monday night, we have our big book study, uh, same building, third floor. Uh, It starts at 7.15. All right. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on the table in the back. And we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Uh, Also, we're going to be putting out four tables with eight chairs around each table if anybody wants to stay and do a little service after the meeting. Uh, Thank you. I'll see you next week. I would like to invite everybody to the Monday Night Big Book Study. Um, and those who wish to thank the speaker, please line up in the center aisle. And let's all circle up and, and close with the Lord's Prayer. All right. We're going to uh, take a moment of silence for the alcoholics still sick and suffering in and out of the rooms. Who can bring us from shame to grace? Our Father.
sé qué.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
plugging my guitar And I play my songs And people sing along And stomp their feet and raise their arms song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Thank you very much.